Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's do our Bible confession, family. Whatever form your Bible takes, if it's the word of God, is good with me. Let's say this confession together. It starts, it's called my Bible. This is my Bible. Here we go. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, family, a, a real, a real, real quick Smith story for you. Y'all know that from time to time, at least recently, I have been talking to you guys about my mom. And as my mom gets older, sometimes she forgets things. And I made the comment one time. I didn't tell the whole Smith story, but I made the comment that, you know, sometimes it's comical, the things that she forgets. And uh, Pastor Grace, who was here at the time, she, she shouted out from the right-hand side, well, that's normal. You know, she's, in, in other words... Pastor, what she was trying to say, don't be picking at your mama because, you know, she's aging gracefully. But sometimes when you get older, you forget things. OK, so she 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 in her own way, she kind of checked me, you know, kind of like a hot she, she checked me. So. I still. Pick at my mom. So I, and I, I it wasn't but not in a in a mean way, because sometimes it's just funny. Well, anyway, tell you how God's got a sense of humor. I was in the house uh, about two or three weeks ago, and I am tearing up the house. And I ultimately run in, I'm looking for something, and Greta's looking at me like, what the heck is going on with this cat? And so I'm like, Greta? She's like, what? I said, I can't find it. She says, you can't find what? I said, Greta, I just, I can't find my Apple Watch. She's like, what did you look for? I said, yeah, I can't find it. I walk out the door. Turn right back in and go back to her and say, oh, babe, I found it. She said, where is it? I said, it's on my wrist. <laughs> All right, family. So God's got a sense of humor. That's God's way of telling me, don't be picking at your mama. Because you starting early, Joker. At least she in her 80s, you know what I mean? That thing was on my wrist. Ain't it red? Granny, I can't find my Apple Watch. Uh. Love, loved ones, here at this campus, we are still on the uh, series entitled Satisfied. Today, we're going to 
do part two of a sub-series we're working on called Your Best Kept Secret. I want to tell you up front, I hope you are ready today for the message God is laying down. It is not for people with, you know, sensitive feelings. It's not something that's going to be damaging to your spirit, but it is something that is a message. It really needs to be told. And doggone it, we fissin' to tell it. (laughs) Give me my first image. We finna tell it today. Oh, my Lord. Let's go, let's go. I can't wait. I can't wait to tell it. All right, you know that we're talking about our vision. It has three things, categories. Restore, re-engage, and rebuild. And we're on re-engage. Re-engage, the goal is this. Re-engage life regardless of the fear or failure and re-engage it without condemnation, knowing that if you fall in the process, your risen king has empowered you to get up. Now, when we bookmarked last time, we bookmarked talking about this woman who has this bleeding issue. People refer to her as the woman with the issue of blood. But to make it generic for all of us, we're going to say woman with an issue because each and every one of us from time to time got an issue. Woman with an issue. For her, it's a bleeding issue, but for us, it's just the issue. But in her issue in particular, next image, please. I want you to note this is how Luke introduces us to this account. The voice, chapter 8 in Luke, verses 43 through 44. We've read this before, but let's go again. In the crowd was a woman. She had suffered from an incurable menstrual disorder for 12 years. Good Lord and had spent her livelihood on doctors with no effect. It had kept her miserable and ritually unclean, unable to participate fully in Jewish life. She followed Jesus until she could reach him. She touched the fringe of the robe Jesus wore, and at that moment, the bleeding stopped. There are three really quick, obvious points here. Number one, this woman had an issue. Number two, Jesus could resolve the issue. You heard it said in the old churches, I had a problem and Jesus could solve it. Number three, in order for her to even take steps to approach where Jesus was, number three, she had to overcome her feelings and her fears She was ritually unclean. She shouldn't have been out in public. She had to overcome a lot just to start taking steps towards Jesus. Of all those three items that are facts in this account, there is a fourth that was, in my opinion, even more critical in her succeeding. And that is this. That woman kept her plan to approach Jesus to herself. This woman's thought that I'm going to walk out towards Jesus and touch his robe, 
That was her best kept secret. Notice this next image. For sure, loved ones, if that woman had told people that she was going to try to go out and get close to Jesus in her state, somebody would have stopped her dead in her tracks. They would have made sure she got nowhere close to Jesus. They would have tied her up. They might have barricaded her in her house. They might have locked her away. They may have done things way before Jesus even got to town to keep that lady from doing what she said she was going to do. Her plan was to just touch the hem of his robe. Now, if she were to tell it, that plan is not going to be successful. Ain't going to happen. She's not going to make it there. But this woman kept silent about her plan. She kept her plan a secret. And because she kept it a secret, none of this potential stopping her happened. It all worked because she stayed silent. Family, there's a lesson in how this woman concealed her plan for all of us. As believers, we are conditioned to testify about the goodness of God. If you came up in any church for any length of time, talking about the goodness of God is what you do. Part of that sharing, though, about the goodness of God is often talking about the plans and the things that God has shared with you. And that is not always wise. Everybody you talk to is not on your side. Everybody that you talk to is not your supporter. Some people that you talk to are your saboteur. They're your saboteur. And the moment you release out of your mouth what God has shared with you, what God has told you, what God has asked you to do, what God's asked you to not do, they go to work to mess up the plan. There are times in your life, loved ones, that what God shares with you is meant for you and nobody else. It's meant for you or at best you and a select few. And you had doggone be sure that you checked with God about who are the few. Everybody that you share something with is not on your side. To dig deeper into this thought about your best kept secret, I'm going to ask you to come with me to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we end up seeing an account, an account 
by a man named Samson. A man who had a secret that he told to the wrong person. Next one, please. Judges chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. This is where we get introduced to Samson even coming on the scene. It reads this way. Once again, though, the Israelites did evil according to the eternal God, and he gave the Philistines power over them for 40 years. Good God, good gracious. During that time, a man of Zorah named Manoah from the tribe of Dan was married to a wife who could bear him no children. God started talking to this wife, or his messenger started talking to the wife and said this, you are barren and have no children, but all of this is about to change. Ooh, there's a message right there. You will conceive and have a son. Be careful that you don't drink wine or any other spirits, strong drink, and don't eat anything that is ritually impure, for you are going to become pregnant and have a son. Read this highlighted part with me. Go. Don't ever use a razor on his head. Oh, yes, because you will raise this boy as a Nazarite dedicated to the true God from his conception. That's important. And he will be the one to begin delivering Israel from the Philistines. Now, the he, Philistines. Yeah. OK, here we go. Here we, we got this situation here where this woman can't have a kid. And the messenger says, you're going to have a baby. And the part about don't use a razor on his head, that is the secret that we're dealing with. But you notice here it says that this person will be a Nazarite from birth. That's very important because a person could take a Nazarite vow by choice. God is not putting the choice on Samson. He's saying from birth, I'm saying you're dedicated to me. For those who've never read the Nazarite vow, though, we're going to show it to you. And the gentleman and I were talking yesterday. And, gentlemen, you will find something interesting about this because during our conversation yesterday, we talked about grapes. Okay? All the men chuckled. They like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it. it, it <laughs> we talked about grapes. But... Notice, it, it, this stuck in my mind when we were talking about that, but, you know, we were eating pancakes and stuff, so I, it wasn't for me to bring up. But, but he's, he's going to be a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite, though? What is a Nazarite? What kind of vow does a Nazarite take? Here they're saying, don't use a razor on his head, but there's more. Look at, look at this. Give me the book of Numbers, the next one. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, this is the Message Bible. God spoke to Moses, talking about this Nazarite, God spoke to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, tell them if any of you, any of you, man or woman, wants to make a special Nazarite vow, consecrating yourself totally to God, you must not drink any wine or beer, no intoxicating drink of any kind, not even the juice of grapes. In fact, you must not even eat grapes or raisins. For the duration of the consecration, nothing from the grapevine, not even the seeds, not even the skin may be eaten. 
you're making a vow to consecrate yourself to God. Ooh, Lord. <laughs> also, for the duration of the consecration, you must not have your hair cut. There it is. Your long hair will be a continuing sign of holy separation to God. Now, notice for someone who wanted to make this vow back then, this is what you would be doing. And if you read around this some more, it says, you know, after you're done with whatever it is you're consecrating for, then you kind of get released from this kind of stuff. They shave your hair and that kind of stuff. But for Samson, go back up one, one, one image. He's not making this vow out of the womb as a 18-year-old, 30-year-old, 20-year-old. No, God said from the womb, you're going to be a Nazarite. We read all of this to say Samson's life has a secret. And before he's born, his mama know. Shortly thereafter, his daddy learns. And eventually, of course, Samson knows. We can say then that Samson's secret is known between him, God, and a select few. If we were to continue through chapters 14, 15, et cetera, et cetera, you eventually learn that God has endowed Samson with superhuman strength. And from this point through the next couple of chapters, Samson goes on, he's, he's beating up people, he killing people. He just, he flexing his phenomenal mighty muscle. Eventually, we move ourselves far enough to where we can get into chapter 16. Give me my next image. Chapter 16 opens this way. This is the voice, verses 1 through 3. I'm only going to read the first one and then talk about the rest. Verse one says, when Samson went to Gaza, he saw a prostitute there who pleased him. So he went in to be with her. There are commentaries about this on both sides. What do I mean? Some people say that he went in to, with this prostitute and he had relations with her. Other people say, I don't think he did that. You know when Joshua sent the spies, Rahab housed them. So what I think Samson was doing here, because if you read, it says, well, he left at midnight instead of staying all night, et cetera, et cetera. He, he, he escaped because people were trying to get him. It, what I'm thinking is that Samson just went and he hid out in the camp a little while. Now, let me tell you my take on it, because this is a reflection of my, in my opinion, of Samson's behavior. If you read the previous chapters, Samson was out here in these streets. He wasn't just some nice guy walking around. He was wilding out. So in your pastor's opinion, he was in there doing with that prostitute what you expect him to be doing in there with that prostitute. That's my commentary. The reason this is important, though, is it goes to his character. 
Not that he wasn't what we would call Christian, but he had one foot in God and one foot in the world. He was he was he was kind of what do you call it? A person who was still worldly. He knew about God. Of course, he knew about God. But he was worldly. And it's important that you keep that in mind, because if you don't know somebody's psyche, you put it this way. Have you ever looked at somebody or heard about somebody doing something and you quickly said, I don't know how they could do that. And then you hear them talking or you get a, a picture of how they are on the head and you're like, "Ooh, I can see how they can do that. This is important. Because this is Samson's headspace is that he is he's strong and he knows it. He's cocky. He's everything you think somebody with that kind of strength would be. So here he is with this prostitute for a minute. And my God, we come into verse four. Give me verse four, please. Verse four says, after this, after some time. He fell in love with Delilah. Everybody say fell in love. Ooh, Delilah from the valley. It say after this, he fell in love with Delilah, a woman from the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines came to her with a plan. The ruler said, if you can charm him into giving you the what? the secret of his great strength so that we can overpower and capture him. Each of us, each of us, each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah, the woman that he fell in love with, agreed. One of their visits, on one of their visits, she questioned him. Sammy. She had a pet name for him. You know what I'm saying? And she probably said, Sammy, what, can you tell me what makes you so strong? And she, she touching his muscle and stuff. What makes you, so, make you so strong? How can anyone buy you and control you a big strong man like you? She, asked, she questions him. She says, what makes you so strong? Family, be questionable about people who question you about what God shared with you. Be questionable about people who question you about how God is blessing you. Be questionable about people who question you about how God is working in your life. Those people may just be trying to charm you out of information to give it to your enemy. Be questionable about people who question you about what God has said to you. Delilah say, baby, tell me what makes you so strong. Samson says, if you were to buy me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not dried yet, I would be weak and no different from any other man. The Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven fresh bowstrings. Exactly what he said. Seven fresh bowstrings. 
as Samson, Samson slept, she, not the Philistines, she, Delilah, not the Philistines, she bound him with him. When the warriors had taken their places in the inner chamber, Delilah cried out. Call, thank you. Delilah called out. Wake up, Samson. Like she ain't know what's going on. Ooh, you lying. You know the word. Start with an H. You lying. What did it start with? A, no, not that word. But that. But that word, too. But the prostitute was in the first three verses. But you lying rascal. Delilah cries out, wake up, Samson. The Philistines are attacking. So they come in and try to get him. The Bible says, but he snapped the bowstrings the way a thread snaps. When it touched, when it's touched by a flame and fended off the attackers. So the secret of his strength remained hidden. Now, loved ones, this type of activity happens four times. And the first three times, he keeps his secrets hidden. Now, this goes on for a while, but notice we're just going to summarize here just to keep things a moving. The first three times this happens, Samson keeps his secret secret. We already read the first time he said, if you tie me up with this kind of stuff. A second time he said, well, if you tie me up with this other kind of stuff. A third time, he said, if you take my hair and kind of braid it and plait it and weave it this way. Now, each one of these three times wasn't true. Each one of these three times when he told Delilah something, she is the one that did what he said would weaken him. And none of it worked. Now, loved ones, three times he basically lied to her. And three times she used the information that he had given her to attempt to betray him. But he stayed with her still. The fourth time she came with the question, and y'all know we like to dramatize, but just in my opinion, this fourth time, she turned up the emotional heat. Look at the fourth time. Starting in verse 15, Judges 16, a voice. She says, how can you say you love me when your actions prove my actions? 
What about yours? How can you say you love me when your actions prove? Are you talking about me or yourself? Family, be careful who you fall in love with. Be careful who you allow your emotions to get tied up with. Be careful who you connect yourself with. How can you tell me that you love me when your actions prove your heart is somewhere else? Your body's here with me. But your mind is on the other side of town. That's what she's saying. But you know what? There are three times now that we know what she about. And there are three times now Samson know what she about. But remember, verse one through three, he cocky. That's why his character. He's strong. He's always been strong. I'm mighty. I've always been mighty. Can't nobody touch me. This is him. I'm focusing. My wife tell me to focus. But how can you say you love me when your actions prove your heart is somewhere else? Three times now, I've, you've lied to me and haven't told me why you have such great strength. Now, if you read verse 16, basically it's saying that he's, she's nagging him and she's nagging him. She's in his ear every single time and he's staying with her and she's wearing him down. She's wearing him down like hot knife through butter, just cutting him and cutting him and cutting him and cutting him till eventually, verse 17, Samson told her the truth. This is Samson, I'm tired of hearing your mouth. I'm now, the thing would be see ya. Not to tell the secret, but mm-mm. He tells the truth. Samson says, I have been a Nazarite set aside to God since I was in my mother's womb. And my hair has never been cut. If my head were shaved, my strength would vanish. I would be weak and no different from any other man. Verse 18 says, Delilah at last saw that he was telling her the truth. Go to the next one. There are a lot of verses here, family, but basically here's what we're going to see. Samson falls asleep in her lap. This version of the Bible says that she called somebody from the cut out of the chamber to cut his hair. Cut his hair, shaved off all his locks, the seven locks, clip, clip, clip. And his strength was gone. This time, when the Philistines came in, they were able to seize him. And he couldn't break free. And as you can see there, they did things to him like they put out his eyes. What I have to ask, though, is why, why did Samson tell her? Why did he tell her? Go to the next image, please. Why did he tell her? 
three times. Three times. But then nothing. And on the fourth time, he told her, got his hair cut, and now he's, he's weak and captured. A quick note here, though, family. Sometimes when we embark on these kind of conversations, and I'm talking about people, you know, stopping the plan God has for you, people will say to me, but it's God's plan. How you gonna, how somebody going to stop God's plan? What God has for me is for me. Well, let your pastor give you his view. Because you're right. What God has planned is going to happen. Number one, let's not assume it can only happen with you. Number one. But let's assume it is through you. Practical example. If I stand up here on stage and I want to get to the back wall, I have two simple paths. I can walk up aisle left, reach the wall. I can walk up aisle right, reach the wall. That's a path. But you know what my other path is? There are literally tens, maybe hundreds of variations in this very sanctuary. For example, I can zigzag through each of the center row to the back wall. Takes more time, a lot more effort, but I can, get, I can do it. I can come to the far right and I can jump over each chair until I get to the end and reach the back wall, I can do that. I can come all the way over here to the left. I can get on my tummy and I can army crawl under all these chairs and cut through and get there. Yeah. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Even though God's plan doesn't stop, what you do can affect how it affects you. What you do can affect how long it takes for that plan to actually come to pass. If you are a required part, what you do matters. I don't know why this man thought it necessary to share his secret with Delilah. I don't know. You know what? You really don't know. The Bible don't tell you exactly no, but it gives you a hint. And I believe it played a lot into it. He was emotionally attached to her. And three times he told her. And three times. You know what she did? She tried to betray him. If we put that in, a, in some tighter words, we would say this. Three times he told her something that wasn't true. And three times she showed him who she really was. Mm-hmm. Give me my next image. Now, loved ones, 
we can sit back and say what Samson did and what he didn't do. And I would bet you if we were Samson's advisors and we could have advised him between time three and time four when he told the truth, we would have advised Samson this. We would have said, Samson, when somebody shows you who they really are, believe them. That's the advice we would have given him. We'd have given him. But you know what? That advice is easy to give. That advice is easy when you're on the outside. But when you're on the inside, when it's your heart that's in the game, when you should take that advice, do you? When my heart's in the game, when I should take that advice, do I? You got this person that you call your friend and they got that label because you've known them for a long time. You grew up together. You were boys. You were girls. You remember being in the playground together. All of these things are great. The bottom line is you have an emotional attachment to them. You genuinely care. But they are not worthy of that friend label. Over and over and over again, they show you they're not worthy. But you still stay. You still keep them in your holy of holies. You got a person you call family. And they got that label because you grew up with them. They took care of you. They raised you. They fed you. They helped you get through college. They family. The bottom line is you have an emotional attachment to them. You love them. You genuinely care. But they are not worthy of that family label. They tell you one thing, but their actions continually show you that they are not worthy of that label. Yet you stay. Yet I stay. I'm not throwing, I'm not throwing shade just at you. Yet we stay. And their actions tell us differently. You, you, you call this person boyfriend or girlfriend, and they got that label because you genuinely care. And they have expressed the same feelings to you. But they're not worthy of that label. And their actions keep telling you and showing you they're not worthy of that label. They treat you any kind of way. They betray your trust. They say they're not going to do it and they do it again. And yet you stay. Why? We can talk about Samson, but why? Why do you stay in that close relationship with someone who has already showed you who they are, don't you believe them? What ends up happening is you stay in that close, intimate connection with that person and you end up sharing stuff with them that God only shared with you. You end up sharing something with them that God never, ever intended to be shared with anybody else. 
at best, a select few, and God will instruct you as who are the few. But not people like this. And you share your information with these people that you got these labels on that have already showed you that they are not worthy of the label. And the moment you tell them something, which, by the way, they should never have known in the first place. Now they go to work to sabotage the plan. Most of us as believers have have, have read this. Give me my next image. You've read this in Jeremiah 29 and 11, this Amplified Classic. It says, God's talking to Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil to give you hope in your final outcome. Family, God's got thoughts and plans to do you good. But just because God shares with you those thoughts and plans that he has for you, it does not mean you need to share them with anybody else. Knowing the thoughts and plans God has for you, just knowing is not the green light to go and start a testifying and start a telling to everybody that you meet. It's not a green light. You end up telling what God has told you to do or not to do or to go and not go to somebody else. And the moment you tell them that, they go to working behind the scenes to try to mess up God's plan. And then here you go. Here we go. Here you go. The moment. Somebody, the very person that you told, the very people that you told, the moment they go to put roadblocks into the path that you proclaim that God put you on, what happened? You are quick to put 100% of the blame on those people. But you might share part of the blame. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, When God told you what he told you, when he shared with you what he shared with you, you should have kept your mouth shut. You should have stayed quiet. He didn't tell you to tell somebody else. But what we do is we say those people are to blame. But you know what? If you look at it close enough, you should share part of the blame. You should have kept your mouth shut. You gave your plan to your enemy. You gave your plan to your saboteur. You gave your plan to the opposition. You let the the fox into the hen house. You did that. Nobody but you did that. Nobody knew but you and God. God, why? Because you couldn't keep your mouth shut. What God shares with you sometimes is your best kept secret. Not meant to testify about. Not meant to shout from the rooftop. It's meant to go quietly to bed and meditate on every day. In your car, you and God. God, I can't wait. 
Every day, you and God, God, I see it coming. Every day, you and God, I'm not telling anybody, it's just between me and you. Because what we do is we go to blabbing about it because we think it's, we think it's holy. We think it's good. We think it's Christian. Things supposed to testify. But not everything God tells you is to be testified on. Yes. God has thoughts and plans for you to do you good, to give you hope in your final outcome. That is not a green light for you to go live. not a green light for you to do that. Family, there are many examples we can bolt on to this. Times that you told your mama something you shouldn't have told your mama. Time you told your brother something you shouldn't have told your brother. Time you told your neighbor something you shouldn't have told your neighbor. Told your coworker, doggone it, hindsight is twenty twenty. I should never have told my coworker a thing. <laughs> Never should have told anything. Let's let's go practical for my, 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 my with my with my gentleman. You know, I always lean towards the gentleman side because if you're gonna be mad at somebody, might as well be mad at the guy. Because I don't want you to tell you nothing to be make Greta mad at me. <laughs> Even though we talk about lady example, but, you know, the guy just keeps me in the safe zone. <laughs> Let's say, talking about your best kept secret. Let's say we have a young man named Skyler. So this is Skyler. My daughter likes that name. So I'm going to say Skyler. And plus, I know there's probably a... 99% chance there are no Skylers in here. <laughs> Ain't no Skylers in here. You have a guy named Skylar. Skylar goes to a retreat, a Christian retreat. And you know what? He goes to that retreat. He gets on fire for God. Absolutely is on fire for God. He makes this decision. He's going to change his lifestyle. He's going to stop the partying, going to stop the drinking, going to stop the hanging out with his boys, doing stuff he shouldn't do. He is ready to pursue fully a life in Christ. He is so excited about what God has put in his heart to do and pursue that he comes back and he tells his boys. Unfortunately for Skylar, his boys prefer the old Skylar. His boys like Skylar just the way he is. So the moment he tells them his plan, they go to work. They put up the soul, turn up the social heat, the social pressure. You think they went to parties before. Now they're trying to get Skylar to every party that pop up. If they drinking, they want him over. If they smoking, they want him over. They, they, they out at the game. They out in the mall. Every time they see a group of ladies, they nudging them in the side talking about, are you sure you ready to give up all this? Are you sure you ready to put this down, my man? Are you sure? Is, 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 is your life in, in Jesus worth all this? Are you sure? They're putting the pressure on. They're putting the heat on. 
But you know what? I got to give my man Skylar some credit. He kind of he holding his own a little bit. But the pressure that he's feeling, in a sense, he gave them the opportunity because he vocalized something that maybe he should not have vocalized to those people. Let's continue with him, though. And one day his boys are out and about, and one of his boys is in the city, and guess who they bump into? Ebony. Ebony, she used to be Skylar's Delilah. And he bumps into her. You know, they were a thing back in, back in some years back, but they didn't go, get, didn't go very well. And they lost touch. She moved away. So Skylar suffered for a little while. But you know what? He got back on his feet. And now my man's doing good. In fact, I hear he wants a life in Christ. After talking to Ebony for a moment, though, his boy realizes she still, she still got a little, carried a little torch for uh, my man Skylar, you know, and she started asking, do you see him often? How is he doing? You know, I know we didn't end it on the good enough terms. And his boy's thinking, here is my chance. I might have not have got him with the drinking. I might have not have got him with the smoking. I can't get him with the partying. But this is Ebony. So he just so happens to slip in that Skylar works out at this certain gym every day at this certain time. Just happened to let it roll out. And then they part ways. One day, Skylar is at the gym. And who do you think he bumps into at the gym. Everybody say Ebony. Ebony. And now when Ebony runs into him, she makes it seem like it's an accident. Like it's happenstance. Kind of like, oh, hi, Sky. Oh, Skylar, how are you? Oh, how you, how you doing? It's been a long time. She's trying to make it sound like it's just some type of type of twist of fate when really she has been sent there by a saboteur. Now she stands in front of him in that tight fitting bodysuit in his favorite color. Ain't nobody else in the gym dressed like her. Nobody. Everybody in the gym dressed like regular folk. They got on regular gear. The people got on headbands and hats. People with long hair got their hair in that sloppy ponytail. Ain't, ain't nobody dressed like her. The overall populace of the gym is regular people wearing regular gear at the gym to exercise. Not Ebony. Her hair perfect. Her makeup, flawless. Her nails, on point. At the gym. 
everybody in the gym, everybody in the gym, sweating. The guy over there on the, on the one weight machine came in, his shirt was light gray. Now it's dark gray from all the sweat. The lady on the treadmill, she's sweating. The other dude on the right-hand side, he rushing to get some water or some Gatorade or something to quench his thirst because he's just exhausted. The other lady over there doing squats, reaching for her towel. She's dripping the sweat off of her brow. Skylar, dripping wet. Not Ebony. There is not a drop of sweat on her exposed skin. Her skin is just moist and glistening from a thin layer of shea body butter. She ain't sweating. She ain't sweating because she did not come to the gym to work out. She's not there to work out. Get this, she's there to work in. She's there to work into his mind. She's not there to work out. She's there to work into his emotions. She ain't there to work out. She's there to work into his heart. She's there to work her way back into that man's future. She's in there to work her way into a position to get him to shift his plan about pursuing Christ. But she got that opportunity because Skylar didn't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I understand that Skyler is his, you know, he's his own moral agent. I know that Skyler is control of Skyler's own actions. But the fact that he was running off at the mouth, he gave the plan to his enemy. There are times, loved ones, that what God shares with you about you, that you are supposed to do or not do, say or not say, act or not act, that is just meant for you. Keep your mouth shut. Because if you don't, you could share the information with the wrong people. Family, even God himself operates in silent mode at times. Look at this. Give my next image, please. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, easy to read. Paul says, but we speak God's secret wisdom that has been hidden from everyone until now, God planned this wisdom for our glory. He planned it before the world began. None of the rulers of this world understood this wisdom, for if they had understood it, they would not have killed our great and glorious Lord on the cross. In other words, what he's saying is if the rulers of this world and the devil, I'm throwing him in there too, had known what God was going to do through Jesus's life, death, resurrection, that they would never have put Jesus on the cross. 
If the devil had known, the best thing for him to do would have been to allow Jesus to grow to a ripe old age and transition from natural causes. That would have been the best thing for him to do. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he didn't know the particulars of the plan because God didn't share it. He didn't give anybody the opportunity to mess up the plan. Unlike what we do, God kept his secret secret. And when you look at this, there are also people that say, ah, when they read this, they say, ah. So this is saying that, you know, the devil didn't know that Jesus was Jesus. That ain't true. He knew Jesus was Jesus. Hey, you know how they say, you know, look at the instant replay? Look at the instant replay. Jesus was in heaven when Satan got kicked out. Yeah, he knew him. When Jesus was born, he tried to have him killed. As a youth, as a baby, he knew him. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. The devil knew that. The devil tested him in the wilderness to try to trip up Jesus at the time. He knew who Jesus was. He knew who he was. He, he acknowledged and, and he knows Jesus. What did Jesus turning water into wine? He ain't know that. Jesus walking on water. Jesus feeding the multitude. Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead. He casting out demons. At a minimum, they ran back and told, we just got our butt kicked by Jesus again. The devil knew who Jesus was, but what he did not know was the particulars of the plan. As a believer, you can still testify about the goodness of your God without sharing the particulars of the plan God has given you. It is not a requirement when you testify about the goodness of God to divulge his plan for you. Give me my next image. Because I want you to know if God himself can operate in silent mode, so can you. God kept the particulars of his plan regarding Jesus, his best kept secret, and his plan succeeded. Likewise, our woman with the issue of blood, she kept her plan to herself. She kept her mouth shut. And because she did that, her plan was able to succeed. She kept her plan her best kept secret. Interesting note, though, and another piece of wisdom that we can get out of the account of this woman. 
Do you know she ultimately did tell her secret? Look at here. Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. We've already read this several times, and we've gone through verses 43 through 40, 46 several times. Basically, they say there was a woman in the crowd who was bleeding. She touched Jesus, boom, she's healed. Jesus say, hey, who touched me? 40, verse 47. The woman now realized her secret was going to come out sooner or later. So she stepped out of the crowd, shaking with fear, and she fell down in front of Jesus. She told her story in front of everyone why she touched him and what happened as a result. Now hold right here. What did she tell family? Say it loud. Ooh, I got some. Caught you napping. What, what did she tell? Her story, her secret, exactly. And she told it in front of who? Everyone. So she told her secret, and she told it at this point in front of everyone. What's the lesson? She told her secret after she was healed. She told her secret after the blessing. She didn't tell it while the blessing was in progress. She didn't tell it while the plan was in progress. Loved ones, there is a time to tell your story. But when God clears you to tell it, when he says it's okay to testify, at that point, he has got the momentum behind your success at such a great level that nobody can stop it. There is a time for you to tell it. But when God tells you you can tell it, no devil in hell can stop it. Loved ones. Once God builds up your momentum, you can tell it just like he wants you to tell it. You can testify like he wants you to testify. By the time God frees you to tell it, guess what? You already got the job. You already got the position. They already called you vice president. They already knighted you CEO. They already created the position that didn't exist. By the time God tell you to tell it, you already got the job. By the time God tell you to tell it, the momentum behind your success is so great, nobody can stop it. You already got the house. That house they said you couldn't afford, that your credit was too low. Oh, you can't live on the beach. Your kind of people don't live on the beach. You got to live in, a, in an old house. No, you got brand new because God has already called it so. And you didn't tell it too early. Guess what? Your business is already thriving. That business they said you couldn't do. That business they said, we already got too many of those. those you, you can't make it. That business that they told you, you and your little hands can't do that together. You can't do that by yourself. You need more resources. You need some more connections. But guess what? By the time they realize that your business is thriving, God has your momentum too great 
for them to do anything about it. By the time God has you tell them that you were in school, you already got the degree. You were going at night. They didn't know why you didn't go to the reunion. They didn't know why you didn't go to the party. They didn't know why you were always up late. They didn't know why you were taking classes at night. It was hard, but you got it done. You already got the degree. And by the time God already tells you that you can tell it, you already got your papers, baby. Can't nobody do nothing about it. You already get this. When God tells you to tell about your album, your music already on Apple Music. Your album already released. Your song already a hit. You already working on album number two. By the time God tells you you can tell it, your momentum will be too great for anybody to do anything about it. There is a time for you to testify about your secret, and that is when God touches you on the shoulder. But when you feel that touch, God is confident that whatever he has put behind your success has momentum too great for anybody to do anything about it. Your haters, all they can do is sit back and watch. All they can do is sit back and hate. Why? Because God already got you on a road to success. Your enemies, when God tell you you can tell it, all they can do is sit back and envy you. That's all they can do. Why? Because God has already told you you can tell it and the momentum behind your success is so great, can't nobody stop it. The doubters, all they can do is sit back and look dumbfounded, wondering how you did it, wondering how you made it work. When God tell you you can tell it, you can do that. All the people, all the people who trying to trip you up, all they can do is shut up. Because when God has given you the nod to tell your secret, you have momentum that nobody can stop. Once God tells you you can release it, all your haters, all your doubters, all your enemies, all your opposition, all your naysayers, all your critics, all they can do is sit back and wish they were you. You need to keep your best kept secret, secret, keep your mouth shut until God tells you to tell it. Because when God tells you to tell it, he's already got you on a road to success that nobody can stop. So, yes, there is a time as a believer for you to testify. There is a time for you as a believer to tell it. But until God releases you to do so, until he releases you to speak it, you keep your secret secret. You keep what God has told you just between you and God. Or at best, you keep what God has shared with you between you, God, and at most, a select few. And that comes with a caveat that you seek God and be spirit-led about who are the few. That's right. Amen. 
Don't sabotage your own blessings. Everybody that wants to know about your blessing don't care if you get blessed. Everybody that wants to know about what God's doing with you don't care about what God's doing with you. Don't give too much ammunition to your enemy. Oh, there's a time to tell your secret. But by the time you, God tell you to tell it, can't nobody do nothing about it. I want you to say this with me. Say, when God tells me something, it is not necessarily something for me to broadcast to the masses. Sometimes the best thing I can do for my own success is to keep God's plan for my life a secret until he tells me otherwise. Mm. I love y'all so much. That's something that many people don't talk about. But you know what I'm glad of? That we ain't just some people. What God shared with me while I was studying and just to let you know, even your even your your pastor somehow can sometimes can get in the mindset where I'm clock watching, and I should be. When I was studying, God showed me your face, Mr. Red, and He said that you are to come up here and you are to pray. So I'm going to give you a microphone, and I want you to come up and pray. And he was very specific. On this image, you see us being successful. God has our success on a trajectory of greater. What that means is that God is going to release on us ideas, witty inventions, creations, opportunities, businesses. And when he releases those things into your spirit, you are not to turn them away. You are not to look at them as if they're impossible, but realize they came from the God of all possibilities. And if you let it marinate, you and God in the incubator, in the crock pot, in the pressure cooker, let that thing work and you quietly go about the business of doing what God told you to do to bring that thing to pass at some point in time. You will see that what he put in your heart not only has come to pass, but when he has you testifying about it, it is at a level that guess what? it has a momentum behind it that nobody can stop. So right here, we are going to lay down a prayer. A prayer 
that God touches our hearts and touches our minds, that we stay close to God, that we make sure we when God gives you a plan. You should be working on the plan first with God, not your cousin. When God gives you a plan, he is the initial and primary counsel for your plan. So the prayer is that God ignite in us things that we can do and create and, and bring resources into the kingdom and bless other people. And that we are wise enough that when the right people come, that we can share. God will tell us we do that. When the wrong people come, we are bold enough to tell them whether they're your auntie, your mama, your cousin, your best friend, that that's not none of their business. Stop running off at the mouth so much. Sometimes just be quiet. But I know that we've sat through this message. I've done my part. I've imparted what God told me to impart. And there's something in the upcoming prayer that's going to fit. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen the face. Mr. Red, it's all yours. Dear God, I thank you for this opportunity. God, lesson me more of you. Yes, Speak through my vocal cords. Hallelujah, God. We magnify your name. We praise you. We honor you, God. We bless you, Jesus. God, we thank you for the message that has been sent forth. And God, we just ask you right now that you would just continue to give us direction for the ones who are giving direction and the ones who are not quite sure which way to go. God, today is their day. Today is our day. And so, God, we are open to you. Lord, we lay everything at the altar. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every, everything at the altor. God, we bleed in the head. Help me, because Marae Kamaro so Kamarasi show Kamarasete. I come but I so Kamashete. Amarae Kamarasi Kamarasete Kamo Shoto Mane Keshito Masataya. Mo Kamarasete Sheke Rasi Shete. Mamaroko show Kamarasete Kamataya. Mamarasete Shekamaro Sote Shete. Heke show Marosi Kashala Laya. Mamarae Kamo Show Kamasete Eko Moshataya. God, we bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We magnify your name, God. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we thank you, Lord.
thank you right now, God. Lord, please. Hallelujah, God. Bless your Father, Lord Jesus. Lord, I trust you. Lord, we trust you, God. Hallelujah, the spirit of trust in you, God. Hallelujah, God. We don't know which way we are going. But God, I hear your voice. God, that's all I know what to do is hear your voice. And Lord, I trust you, Lord. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my children. I trust you with this church. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my finances. So God, you get the glory, God. Hallelujah. We bless you, God. God, help us to be quick to listen. And Lord, we gotta have my hasha mosa tell and a kisha to set it. Lord, continue to help us to be quick to hear you and follow your ways. Hallelujah. No matter what it looks like or how it sounds, that we ought to be in tune with you. Hallelujah. The enemy desired to kill and destroy. He desired to, sit, to, to just kill whatever God has planned. But God, we thank you right now that we will not give up. We will not quit. We will not be defeated. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. Hallelujah. We are rich and we are not poor. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your peace. God, we thank you for your peace. We thank you, God, for a peace of mind. A peace of mind. We thank you, God, for peace, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless you. We praise and we magnify your name. Lord, that the word that has been sent forth, sent forth, God. Lord, that we will apply those principles to our lives. And we will use them as a guide for our lives, Lord. For our children. For our family. For our job. Lord, as for our community. For our church. God, we will build ourselves up. For your kingdom, God, you get the glory, you get the honor, you get the praise. Hallelujah. We bless you and we magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Now, before, before, before she, she leaves, she said a couple things that jumped off in my spirit. Now, you stand up here with me. She said several times as she was being led by God to pray is, God, I trust you. 
I trust you with my family. I trust you with my job. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Sometimes we feel it necessary to share the plan God has given to us with someone else because we feel as if the plan is not moving. So we go looking for others to help move the plan along faster and in a different direction than what God has already ordained it to be. But just because God hasn't revealed to us all the particulars, going to somebody else just implies you don't trust. When God has given you a plan, trust is a must. Because if you throw trust out of the window, it gets you right back into the same position of probably telling the wrong person what God has told you. God, we trust you. Everything that she prayed, notice, began strongly with praying in her heavenly language. There are times that we, have, as a believer, we will say out of our mouth, I don't know what to do. But the Bible tells us clearly that when you don't know what to pray, that a Holy Spirit led prayer allows God to speak things to you because the Holy Spirit speaks in utterances that the normal ear can't pick up, but it's a direct line to heaven. God is the one who gave you the plan. God is the one that will see the plan through. A relationship with the one that has given you the plan is, is irreplaceable. There's a, there's a reason. There's a reason why she, she can pray and get teary-eyed. There's a reason why she can pray and go from tongues to, to regular speech. Because there's a foster relationship there. One that we all should have. On the spot, I know, but thank you for your obedience. Yeah, God, we trust you. We trust you. And another thing that she said when she prayed, as she was talking about, you know, God, sometimes, you know, I don't know what to do. When we don't know what to do, Sometimes that is the enemy or our enemy's greatest joy to hear us say that. You don't know what to do. Because what that is, is now that's a green light for me to give you options. I'm going to give you as many options as I think you can listen to or hear and receive to get you off track.
I'm not telling you I always know. But I don't always voice I don't know. Because I trust that God, God got me. I might tell him, God, but I don't, I don't know. Yet, I trust. Yet, I cling. Yet, I hold on to. We're going to work this plan, God, you and me. And at best, those select few that you tell me to share it with. Mm. Lift your hands, family. God, I thank you for each and every person who either are hearing this now or will hear it sometime in the future. I pray that if there is for some reason the idea that we have conveyed that we are not to testify about the goodness of God, that they understand that's false. Testifying about God's goodness is something that we all should do. But I charge each and every person to ensure that whatever it is God has shared with them in particular, for them as an individual, for them and their families, for them and their next career move, for them and whatever, that they take the time first to consider that what God had shared with them, his thoughts, his plans to give them a good future, to give them a certain outcome, they make sure that they seek God about whether or not that it's something that should remain in the incubator between just them and God. If we are to walk in our true kingdom citizenship on this earth, then God, we need to be positioned to allow your blessings to flow profusely in our lives. And that positioning includes doing our part to make sure that the enemy who wants to get in on the plan stays outside. We appreciate that sometimes what you tell us it needs to be our best kept secret. And we will do a better job at it going forward. Mm, and I hear that in my spirit, God. Someone here you told your secret to the wrong person. You told your secret to the wrong individuals and they got in there and they started to act like a cutworm and they began to mess up things. But you think that they've gotten over on you. But no, God says no. God says the best thing that you can do is start fresh. Make sure that you clear your camp of those who are wearing false labels. 
Make sure you clear your camp and only include people in that camp that I direct you to. I am God. I gave you an idea before. I gave a plan to you before. I gave you a vision before. Do you think I've run out of plans? Do you think I've run out of vision? Do you think I've run out of ideas? Do you think I've run out of possibilities? Do you th I can't take you to that place still? God says I can. And I will. As long as this time you learn how to keep what we talk about between us. You're not done. You're not over. You're not through. You're not washed up. None of those things are true. You just need to grow and mature in this walk. When you walk with me, you and I Walk hand in hand. You shouldn't be holding nobody else's hand. Walk with me. Talk with me. Be with me. Share with me. Share your heart with me. Family, I want you to notice that woman with the issue of blood She told her story to Jesus. Everybody else just happened to be around. When you want to talk to somebody about what should just be between you and God, if you're talking to somebody else besides one of the Trinity, you're talking to the wrong person. Bearing your heart to God, always okay. Bearing your heart to Jesus, always okay. Bearing your heart to his Holy Spirit, it's always okay. Bearing your heart in general to everyone, not necessarily wise. I thank you, God, for your word. I declare and decree that those who hear this word, it will not be as the others in that sower's parable where the birds get it and the, 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 the heat damages it and that the weeds and the thorns and the thistles come and choke it out. No, we're not those people. We are the people where the word of God goes in good ground and it releases some 30, some 60, some a hundred. We're not necessarily God here trying to say that we are demanding a hundred because 30 fold is still good. 60 fold is still good. A hundred fold is still good. The point of the parable is that there was multifold increase. There was nothing in that parable that says 30 fold is bad, that 60 fold is bad, that 100 that fold is, is the paramount. Granted, it's the greatest. But you mean to tell me that if God gives you a word and it comes back 30 fold, that there is something wrong with that? You better praise God for that 30 fold. You better praise him for the 31 fold. You better praise him for the 40 fold. 
praise him for the 94. You better praise him anyhow. Because any increase from God, the Bible says all good and perfect gifts come from God. There is no variableness. There is no shadow of turning. When God blesses and he blesses you with 30-fold, I celebrate my 30-fold because I got 30-fold off of one seed. What can I get off of the seed of 30-fold return? Oh, I'll take 30-fold more on each seed I plant after my 30-fold. It's not about discounting the 30 and the 60. 100 is great. But Jesus didn't say shame on the 30 and the 60. That's religion that pushes you to the 100. If God blesses you with the 30, that's a great blessing. All you got to do is keep being obedient in the same manner that got you to 30. It's, 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 it's coming. The point is that a single multiplied to much. When we begin to do that, we begin to compare ourselves and look across the fence at what somebody else got. When 30 or 60 or 100 all came from the same God. God, we rest in you. And we thank you for being who you are in our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.